Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name is Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Annie Hopper, and we're going to be talking all about retraining your brain. Annie Hopper is a limbic system rehabilitation specialist and founder of the Dynamic Neural Retraining System, DNRS, a neuroplasticity-based treatment method to decrease symptoms involved with multiple chemical sensitivity, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, long COVID, and many other chronic illnesses. Annie provides vital groundbreaking information on the link between trauma, the brain, and chronic illness, as well as how neuroplasticity may hold the key to healing. I really hope that you enjoyed this podcast. This may be the missing piece in your care. Welcome, Annie. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Christine. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Oh, well, I've known about your work for quite some time, and I have definitely patients who've been really profoundly helped by your programs and the work that you do. And, you know, for people who might be new to your work, um, maybe before we dive into kind of the meat of what we're talking about, I just love a little bit about your journey, about how you learned to um, really that the brain could be rewired and that we can really, um, you know, have this um, ability to create new pathways in the brain. Yeah, thanks. It's a it's an interesting story. And like a lot of people who get into healthcare, I have my own personal journey that led me to the fortunate position that I'm in today. So back in 2008, uh, I founded a self-directed neuroplasticity-based program called the Dynamic Neuro-Retraining System. And prior to that, my background was in counseling and in uh, journalism. You know, I developed an interesting illness that no one could understand or treat effectively. So I started to have to become my own advocate and my own researcher and try to figure out what was happening. And Basically, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the story of, you know, what my life looked like that prior to really investigating the brain. But uh, I think symptoms started back in 2004. And at the time, I was a really busy uh, core belief counselor in Kelowna, British Columbia and journalist. And, um, you know, my life was absolutely thriving. I was totally happy, totally healthy. Everything was going well. But I had a couple of series of things that happened that just turned my life upside down. And looking back now, I can see that as the perfect storm for developing limbic system impairment. But uh, one thing that happened is I moved into a new office and the new office wasn't actually so new. It was actually in an old building. And unbeknownst to me, the building actually had mold in it. So I was exposed to toxic mold. And also my office was located right next door to the janitor supply room where they held all of the industrial cleaning chemicals for the building. So also around the same time or just a bit earlier than that, there was a wildfire in Kelowna. So I was exposed to a lot of toxic wildfire smoke. And even looking back even further than that, so those were some of the kind of toxic trauma uh, injuries that I had, the wildfire smoke, the mold in the office and, um, you know, the uh, industrial cleaning chemicals. But also when I moved into that office, like so many people do, I went in and I painted it my favorite color green and bought all new furniture and made it really lovely, not knowing that I didn't have any proper ventilation in that office too. So I'm stuck in this tiny little office with like, you know, millions of volatile organic compounds that are being released from all this new furniture, no ventilation 
ventilation, being exposed to mold and the chemicals from the janitor supply room. So, you know, that itself was a big, big toxic hit. Hit, But then even prior to that, I was in a car accident and it left me with cervical whiplash, which was, you know, one of a number of car accidents that I've had over my lifetime. But this one specifically, it left me with, um, I think it was a brainstem injury that mimicked Parkinson's. I had like this shaking neurological issue in my neck for months that would not go away. So I think that that was probably a hit to my nervous system, setting me up for limbic system impairment as well. And also, if I look back even further into my childhood, I came from a pretty, I would, I would suggest kind of unsafe background with an alcoholic father. So you can imagine that the fear center or the survival centers in my brain were firing a little bit more rapidly than other people. So I think that was probably kind of the setup for developing uh, these overprotective circuits in my brain that were firing uh, so much. But it was interesting how it manifested because I didn't realize what was happening at the time. You know, I started getting headaches and anxiety and I had muscle pain, just kind of moving from place to place, kind of like in a fibromyalgia type way. Um, I would have muscle twitching. I had really severe insomnia. I was suffering from anxiety and depression. And then I started to uh, developed this really weird symptom, which was a sensitivity to anything that had chemicals in it. So as you know, probably many of uh, your clients or coworkers or whoever might uh, know people with multiple chemical sensitivities, which it's known as, but uh, I didn't even know that it had a name at the time. I just realized that things were really beginning to smell. Like my favorite saying was, that stinks. Can't you smell that? You know, I, I couldn't understand that people couldn't, they weren't actually experiencing the same thing that I was or that my sensory perception had changed. I thought that it was the actual uh, stimuli that was poisonous or toxic to me. And it really felt like I was actually being poisoned by just about everything in my world. And that made it really, really difficult to navigate my world because I started to become so sensitive to even like dryer exhaust if somebody was doing their laundry, that if I walked by that dryer exhaust, I would go into central nervous convulsions and be, you know, bedridden for days uh, from an exposure like that. Or the same thing, even trying to go grocery shopping, going down the, the aisle of the grocery store where they sell laundry detergent was absolutely impossible. Again, I might go into convulsions. So you can imagine that my life became really, really isolated and really small. I had to stop working, stop going out to social functions, stop basically living my life because of that. And then I also, and you can imagine during this time, I'm seeing a lot of different people, right? I'm seeing every doctor that you could imagine, every alternative doctor that you could imagine, um, uh, you know, specialists up the yin yang. I've detox to here and Mars and back 10,000 times. I mean, I was doing everything and I was a very obedient patient. I was trying everything. And yet, no matter what I tried, even if something made did had a like a slight benefit in the beginning, I would always end up slingshotting back into the state of chronic illness. And it was actually getting worse and not better. 
Then, just what I thought it couldn't get any more weird, I developed electric hypersensitivity syndrome, which is when you develop a sensitivity to things like cell phones or electromagnetic fields from wireless or your electric appliances or things like that. So that's when, yeah, that's when it just became so science fiction. And that was the point where I became homeless. And not because I didn't have money or perhaps a place to live, my nervous system was so reactive to everything that I couldn't find a place where I could just be. So um, even prior to that, even prior to all of that happening, I knew that there had to be something going on with my brain. And there was something odd about the way that my brain was filtering sensory information. And that's what really led me to kind of investigating the brain. And I was looking at overlapping research with people that had chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, chemical sensitivities, depression, and really found that the common denominator in all of this was overreaction of parts of the limbic brain. And that's really how I started to, to research the brain. And, and more, more to the point, the area of the brain that was responsible for sense of smell, because mm-hmm. That seemed to be like a really great place to start. And anyway, that's what led me to the limbic system. So that that's kind of the story, the lead up to actually starting to look at the brain. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing your story and, you know, what you've just shared. Many people in my community can relate to, and many of my patients have a very, unfortunately, similar story. And it's like this perfect storm, right? And, you know, I, I think the conversation that we are going to have could be uh, the missing piece for some people out there who are looking at you know, the pathogen bucket or the toxicant bucket, or, you know, even, you know, um, the emotional trauma bucket, but looking at, you know, from this really neuroplasticity point of view, I think, um, again, there's so much information and education yet to make this more mainstream in our community. So no, I'm, um, and look at you now, right? Like you're obviously incredibly, you know, well-functioning, look healthy and vibrant. You have this amazing, you know, business. So, you know, anything that you just heard, you know, you recovered from, right? So yeah. It's, um, you know, story, the very hopeful story, right? The happy ending, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, um, so Annie, you know, I mentioned this word, so um, many people might still not know what we're talking about. So neuroplasticity. So what is neuroplasticity and why do we really need to look at this as not only a root cause, but really a pillar for our treatment approaches when dealing with a chronic illness? Yeah, it's a really great question, Christine. Neuroplasticity basically means that the brain is malleable and capable of change. And what that means is that our brains can change and adapt to our life experiences. And sometimes that's in positive ways. And sometimes that's in negative ways, especially when it comes to trauma. So what happens is under stress or trauma, and that trauma could be viral, like COVID, or bacterial or emotional stress, or uh, a real physical injury, like a neck injury or whatever, or toxic exposure, the brain can actually get stuck in a protective fight, flight, or freeze response. And when we look at the limbic system, and this is really looking at how the brain changes, when we look at the limbic system, uh, there are a number of structures involved, and basically it's known as our feeling and reacting brain. And it's involved with emotion, especially responses to 
fear, uh, but it's involved in all emotion. It's also involved in learning, memory, and the body's stress response. And what it does is it filters information into two very distinct categories, threat or no threat. And when the system isn't working functionally, it alters our ability to perceive threat and our immune system can get stuck in this patterned protective response that is being signaled from the brain. So, you know, like for me, I mean, the symptoms can be, uh, can vary from, uh, you know, physical symptoms to psychological symptoms to behavioral symptoms. But so when we look at some of the physical symptoms, it could express as chronic pain or various sensitivities or uh, sensory distortions. You know, some people lose their sense of smell instead of have a heightened sense of smell. It can also express as an exaggerated negativity bias, meaning that, you know, we're more prone to depressive types of thoughts and we see the world through a negative lens. So we're more apt to see what's going wrong than we will what's going right. And we also find that people with limbic system impairment actually have a a difficult time accessing positive emotions. And that makes sense when you think of it from a brain perspective. If your brain is stuck in this fight, fight or freeze response and you're stuck in the survival response, joy is not important to your survival. So it's interesting, we actually lose access to joy in that experience. And for people with long COVID, it can express as an autonomic nervous system dysfunction, where automatic function of the functions of the body, like our heart rate, blood pressure and breathing are effective. And for others, it might express as symptoms of chronic fatigue, where cellular energy production is affected. So fortunately, like you said, there's a good news story to all of this. And the good news is that we have agency and how the brain functions. And through our focused thought, emotional and uh, behavioral actions or habits, we can actually act back on the brain and really unlock the brain from that trauma state and move our brain and body from a state of survival into a state of growth and repair where healing can actually start to take place. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And so, you know, whatever, you know, you may be up against as you just, you know, highlighted can get us obviously in this, uh, you called it limbic system injury or limbic system impairment, this, this state. Um, but we'll talk about, you know, there is again, a, a way to um, change that, shift that and shift the body. I guess when we learned about the brain, you know, even I think probably when I was in school, there was still maybe thought like, you know, this is still probably frontier science in many ways that we thought we can't create new neurons and new pathways as easily as what you're probably finding in this work. So I I think it's just, again, um, I'm always in awe and the regenerative capacity, um, no matter where we're looking at in the body. So does everybody with a chronic illness have limbic system injury? You know, can we just assume that? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think it's possible if you, if you, if you think about it, you know, for a second, I think that it's probable, actually, that people have limbic system impairment and a maladapted stress response because of that. And uh, I say that because I've witnessed so many people come back from chronic illnesses and change in ways that are truly transformational that you would not think would be possible. But it's not only possible, but it's happening. So... Yeah, I would say, you know, one way to easily assess that we have a a self-assessment on our website on the homepage. And, you know, you can 
look at some questions that yeah and start to ask yourself some questions you know could this be me do i feel like you know did i have an infection i haven't really quite recovered from regardless of all the treatments that i've done was there some kind of trauma in my past that no matter how much therapy i did still feels like it's not resolved yet do i feel like i'm reacting to stimuli in my environment maybe it's light maybe it's sound maybe it's food maybe i've developed sensitivities to a whole bunch of things uh am i suffering from chronic pain yeah, so there are a list of, of questions there that you can start to ask yourself and say, well, you know, is it possible that a brain stuck in trauma and a nervous system that is stuck in this fight, fight or freeze response might be contributing to this under uh, to this condition? And it affects so many systems of the body, as you know, you know, from your central nervous system to your endocrine system to your immune system. So the ways that it expresses can be so varied from person to person. So I would say, um, you know, it doesn't hurt by any means to actually start regulating your limbic system. In fact, it can only benefit. That's 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 my sense anyway. Yeah, no, thank you. And what a great checklist. I mean, I'm, you know, listening to the questions and probably 95% of my patients would say yes, yes, yes. You know, that's why they're, you know, in my office. So I, I think it's way more common um, with people who just haven't, you know, gotten the results that we want for them. You know, any, I'm just thinking people might have the curiosity, is there any visualization of the brain that can kind of link and, um, you know, show that the limbic system is injured or impaired? Yeah, that's a great question, Christine. And my goodness, I wish I had a brain imaging machine at our office that we could put people through, but we don't. But, you know, a lot of doctors who've been referring their patients have been using NeuroQuant to measure the changes that are happening in the limbic system. So looking at baseline uh, limbic system function and then really doing that assessment before people start doing DNRS and then after they've been practicing. And they've really found tremendous improvements in limbic system function. Oh, that's incredible. You know, I, you know, one day, hopefully in my career, there's going to be way more access, you know, to understand, you know, um, have more access to all of these tools and, you know, imaging for every patient, but Hey, that satisfies, you know, the curiosity in my, my brain. So thank you, Annie. So, so, okay. So we've set this up. We understand that most people who, you know, have, you know, limbic system injury have this symptomology. Um, and then your work is, of course, all about how do we rewire and heal limbic system impairment or injury. So what are the critical steps to approach this? Great question. And we've really looked at it as five pillars of recovery with the dynamic neural retraining system program. So um, in pillar one, that's where we really, really focus on understanding the connection between your brain and your condition. So really looking at the physical structure and function of your brain and how that has changed with limbic system impairment and how that will affect your physical body, how it affects your thought processes, your emotional processes, your behaviors as well. So really understanding that link between the brain and the body and also to stop kind of chasing symptoms in some ways, right? Like rather than chasing symptoms, we really focus on, okay, we're going to move our attention to really focusing on retraining and rewiring the brain. Uh, the second pillar is where we learn, it's, we learn to recognize old neural pathways that keep us in a state of survival and learn to shift our emotions, thoughts, and behaviors 
to really create new neural pathways. And that's called uh, interrupting pathways uh, and redirecting pathways of the past or your POPs. That's what we call it. And in the third pillar of recovery, we we teach people uh, a visualization technique and it's uh, based loosely based on neuro-linguistic programming techniques and it's called the DNRS retraining steps. And what these steps involve, um, they involve some speech, some small movements and visualization techniques to really, and the aim of that is to decrease firing of threat centers of the brain and change the brain chemistry and hormones associated with a stress response to hormones that are, and neurotransmitters that are associated with a state of growth and repair. Um, and this involves visualization exercises that you do in the presence of something currently that you might be reactive to, whether that's you're actually physically in the presence of something or you're just imagining something in your mind. Um, in pillar four, we do incremental training. We apply incremental training and that's really where we're desensitized. It's a desensitization technique that um, where you challenge yourself in really small increments to change the brain's patterned threat reaction. So, uh, and then in pillar five, we learn the importance of elevating your emotional state to send a message of safety to the brain so that it can help regulate the autonomic nervous system. So really we apply all of those five pillars throughout the day. And we ask people to do that for a minimum of six months. Some people will start to see changes right away, while for other people, it might take longer. And for some people, they start to feel recovered before six months. And for other people's, for other people's story, they, it, will, it will take longer. So it really just is dependent on the person, um, their understanding of the program, how they're applying the program, and of course, their level of uh, severity with limbic system impairment. But I always say to people, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been uh, ill, how long you've had limbic system impairment, you know, that actually doesn't factor into the recovery process. Recovery is possible. It doesn't matter how long you've actually been suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And I don't want to, of course, oversimplify this process, but, you know, I'm, you know, thinking that, you know, the power of positive thinking in many ways, and that we're wired, right, to be in these, um, you know, states of positivity and gratitude and kind of thinking of the best outcomes that actually our physiology responds in a healing way when we're, you know, when in these, when we're in these states is, I know that's simplifying things, but um, what are your thoughts around um, that comment? Yeah, certainly positive thinking is a part of it, but I would say not, uh, I would say in the sense that we recognize that our thoughts actually change can change brain structure. Yeah. Uh, what we focus on can change brain structure. The words that we use have specific associations that get the brain to fire in a very specific pattern. So it's not about denial or, you know, going, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't have any symptoms or I'm just going to think positive. It's about really using specific tools to create new pathways in the brain. So, you know, it's thought plus using our emotions, changing our behaviors, understanding how the brain functions and understanding that this affects every system of our, it can affect every system of our body. So it's not about just looking at the brain, but looking at how that brain body what that brain body interaction is and how can if the brain really is the leader 
you know, everything comes from the brain. Every message is sent by the brain. So if the brain is the leader of this orchestra, how can we get the orchestra playing a different song? And that's really how, how I would describe it. It's like, how, how can we look at the brain as a pattern recognition organ? And how can we look at the brain as an organ that we can uh, influence in very, very specific ways through specific tools to actually change the structure and function of the brain. So yes, our thinking is one part of that. That's how I would answer that. Yeah, and I love that. It's a, you know, one aspect and there's more of a depth, right? Obviously to um, this process. No, it's incredible. And you mentioned in your story that you developed multiple chemical sensitivity. And unfortunately, I'm seeing more and more patients with that. And, you know, this is how I really learned the power of this work. I remember having a patient years ago, and I remember seeing her with a charcoal mask in the IV room and would be, you know, fainting, you know, from the perfume, like, you know, down the hall. And I remember seeing her one day and she was, you know, didn't have a mask on and, you know, she was um, doing incredible and I hadn't seen her in a while. And I was like, what have, what have you done? And she said she had done, you know, this work and it was life-changing. And so that really, you know, early on in my career caught my attention to, um, you know, the, the power of this. And so, um, you know, another anecdote there is Dr. Neil Nathan, who I know you know well, um, one of the doctors who works with me, Dr. Amanda Wilms, she just did a, a peer-to-peer consult with um, another doctor to help a patient um, with him. And he even said, um, you know, yes, you know, with the multiple chemical sensitivity issue, we, of course, think more and more in this community now think about mast cells and all of that. But he said, you know, very strongly to this patient that you have to start sure he gave some mast cell recommendations because she needed it and that's kind of one layer he said that you have to do dnrs through your treatment and you have to you know it's kind of a non-negotiable you know and you know he has all this experience so i know that you know it's coming from what he's seen and so i just kind of you know lean into you know how profound this is while we talk about this example of mcs and really how how is this really a missing piece in a lot of functional medicine protocols yeah, it's a, it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the two truths or what, what I call the two truths. And the two truths are, yes, you've had some kind of toxic exposure probably that has led to this illness, or there could be, you know, a lot of different things that are coming back that are testing positive with the, with the testing that you're doing. And certainly treatment, treating the, the toxins and, uh, you know, or getting rid of molds or, you know, really balancing the system is great work. However, it doesn't address the brain piece, right? Mm-hmm. So if the brain is stuck in that trauma response and it's really, you know, identified the smallest amount of stimuli as a potentially life-threatening, we need to change the brain's response to that. And that is the part that's missing in a lot of uh, conventional treatment is understanding the brain's role in chronic illness. So that's one really simple example with multiple chemical sensitivities, like you suggested, is really understanding that the brain has actually, the brain itself has changed your sensory perception in a protective response gone rogue. 
So if you can change that protective response or normalize that protective response, your actual sensory perception normalizes. So things that, you know, when you have MCS, like perfume smells like toxic bug spray, you know, for extreme patients, like the one that you were talking about. And like me in my past, you know, I would go into convulsions or whatever. It became like, absolutely could not live like that. It was, it was impossible to live that way. But now it doesn't bother me at all. And not that I use perfume. So this is the second truth. So I recognize that these, that a lot of things could be toxic to us and not healthy for us, but I come from a place of choice around that. Now, if I'm in a space where people are wearing perfume, I'm perfectly fine. It doesn't bother me. Now, do I, in fact, sometimes it even smells nice now, which is really surprising, but um, you know, do I wear perfume myself? No. Because that's a choice that I make. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, eating habits, right? It's like, well, I can eat anything that I want, but I choose to eat healthy foods. But that's coming from a choice, not because I can't eat food, but because I'm making a healthy choice around that. So, yeah, I always kind of like to balance that with the two truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's almost, you know, I, I've had this kind of discussion with patients. Well, it's like my job is in one way to make you more tolerant to toxins, but at the same time, we got to acknowledge, you know, I don't want you to, you know, not, you know, know that these things can have an impact, but yes, the the choice around it. And I mean, your quality of life, I mean, as you mentioned, you were, you know, homeless in the sense that you could not tolerate, you know, an indoor environment. And that's, you know, the such the debilitating, debilitating part of this illness and especially now mold, right? And we're talking about MCS, but mold is becoming increasingly such a root cause of, you know, all of these issues. And, you know, there are those patients who, you know, really, continue to need to uh, feel like they need to control their environment, create a perfect environment in order to heal. And well, there's lots of conversations around that. Again, my job, I feel as a doctor is to make people more resilient to their environment that they can respond, adapt and, you know, move on, not that it takes them down for days and, you know, is debilitating. And so I think this is really important because when in the, the mode community, it can be this never ending, how do I you know, control something that is never going to be controlled. Yeah, absolutely. Christine, I agree with you 100%. I don't think there is such thing as a, a perfect environment. So if people are waiting for a perfect environment to heal. It just doesn't exist because when you have a limbic system impairment, it moves from one thing to the next. So if you're not sensitive to one thing one day, you could be sensitive to something else the next day. So I don't think there's a, a way of winning around that. And I loved what you said. It's about really, um, you know, creating resilience and adaptability. We're not suggesting that these things are healthy, but you really want your body to be able to adapt to a certain level of uh, normalcy and uh, in order to have uh, a great quality of life. And um, yeah, I loved what you had to say. I agree 100 Mm percent. Yeah, no, thank you. And again, as the world is becoming, you know, increasingly more problematic and toxic. And now, you know, here we are in the 2022 recording this. we've been in the throes of COVID and people have now more what we would call long haulers and long COVID. And there's this whole other patient population that, you know, we're trying to support. And I know that you know that DNRS can be a tool for long COVID as well. Can you share just your results and your experience so far that you're seeing in the long COVID population? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, we, we can understand how people end up with long COVID when you look at from look at it from a limbic system impairment perspective. You know, the limbic system is the area of the brain that's responsible for sense of smell. Well, we know that the virus actually enters the brain through the nasal cavity. It's affecting the limbic system function. The virus could actually be affecting the brain itself. I know they've done lots of studies on the brain and looking at micro uh, injuries in the brain that have affected various parts of the brain. So, um, you know, that itself, the price itself could actually affect the limbic system. And also living in fear for so long absolutely affects the limbic system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, when I think about the millions of people are probably developing limbic system impairment, even if they didn't have the virus, but just situationally, because we're in this state, I think that is affecting a lot of people. But uh, looking at the results. So there was a woman in Sweden. Uh, this is one of my favorite long COVID stories and her testimonials on our website. Uh, she was a doctor and she was in the uh, um, hospital in Helsinki not Helsinki, sorry, in, um, in Sweden, not Helsinki. Helsinki is in Finland, sorry, in, in, uh, in Sweden. Anyway, so she was in the hospital in Stockholm. She was one of the first long-haul uh, patients. Uh, she was a doctor. And what happened is she had symptoms. Her long COVID symptoms were included severe cognitive decline, like to the point where she forgot what letters actually meant. So she could not write or understand how to read or remembered what a letter actually meant. She also suffered from postural orthostatic, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, sorry, POTS. She was barely able to walk. She spent most of her time in a wheelchair. She had mast cell activation syndrome. She suffered from headaches. She had vision issues, gut issues, brain fog, fatigue and weakness, like I said, confined to a wheelchair most of the time and could barely move. Eventually, she she also developed sensitivities to light and to sound, and then severe chemical sensitivities. She was also suffering from depression, severe food sensitivities. She was down to only eating six foods. She had numbness in her hands and face, insomnia, and of course, blood pressure issues. So uh, one of the doctors at the uh, Karolinska Institute in Sweden actually recommended that she do the program because this doctor was familiar with DNRS. And Sandra did the program. And within three months of implementing the program, she was back at work, leading a full and healthy life, which was, you know, to her, absolutely remarkable, miraculous, and, you know, unbelievable in some ways. But what Sandra Sandra knew from her studies already the power of the brain, and she had some education in brain uh, function. So she knew uh, about the power of neuroplasticity, but didn't just didn't have the tools to rewire her limbic system. So once she was given the tools, she really applied the program. And, um, you know, the fact that she wasn't sick for that long, I think that she had suffered for long COVID for 10 months. And although it was debilitating, she was able to get out of that pattern response. 
that the brain was in that trauma response. So uh, her testimonial is on our website. It's incredible. Um, also, there are lots of other people that are applying uh, the program for long COVID and it just makes sense. I mean, I secretly or not so secretly, I was just kind of waiting, like, when are people going to start doing the program for long COVID? Because it sounded to me like they had all of the symptoms of limbic system impairment and uh, all of the hallmarks and symptoms, including autonomic nervous system dysfunction. So I was just kind of waiting, okay, when are people going to start doing the program? And now we're seeing lots of people uh, coming back from long COVID and, you know, moving back into healthy and full lives. So I'm really hopeful for that community and really uh, hopeful that they find out about the program sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so rewarding, right? It just, I'm sure you just love getting those stories and those testimonials. It just makes it all worth it, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I um, you know, I feel we need more and more tools and people things that people can do, you know, on their own. So I think this is, you know, definitely something um to consider if anyone's out there with long COVID and stuck and hasn't gotten results, please, you know, check this out. You know, I have um, you know, as we wrap, I'm just kind of thinking of a few questions that come up when people are, you know, thinking if this is right for me. Just thinking about the highly sensitive patient community, especially I, I deal with a lot of highly sensitive patients. Do you ever feel like people are too sensitive to start this or they need to kind of, you know, ease into things? Or do you feel like there's no gradient in, you know, sensitivity that um, impedes results, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I don't think that sensitivities, highly sensitive people, I, I don't think that sensitivities will impede your results at all, regardless of how sensitive you are. Um, the only thing that I recommend is probably not starting the program, maybe on the heels of a relationship breakup or you're grieving, you're in that really acute grief stage of grieving loss somehow, uh, because it really takes your focused attention. And um, so th that's really the only contraindication, so-called contraindication that I might think of. But no, it doesn't matter how highly sensitive you are. In fact, the sooner you start, the better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Great. I just wanted people to hear that, you know, from you. Yeah. So, um, so that's great. And then you already um, shared just the length of time and kind of, um, you know, kind of what you see on average. And I guess the um, cheerleader in us is just to stick with it really um, until you really see the results that we want for you. Is that what your experience has been? Yeah, yeah. And certainly, you know, it's something that takes motivation and commitment. And we have a lot of support services available to help people with their motivation and commitment. We have, um, you know, once they go through the initial online program, we have a, our global community forum, which is filled with people from around the world. I think we have over 13,000 members on there now from people all over the world that are applying the program, that are sharing their victories and their wins. We've got over 10 years of archived information from people that are sharing their experiences and motivating each other. And yeah, it's like the best community, the very best community of amazing people. It's a professionally moderated uh, community forum as well. Uh, we also have individual coaching for people. So if they're having questions about, well, how, do the, how does the program apply to my unique situation? Or how do I tailor the pro, tailor specific air, air, uh, exercises for my situation? situation. We have our certified DNRS coaches that can help 
with any questions that they might have about applying the program and how to apply the program. Um, and our certified coaches are extensively trained in the method and have all, all of them have recovered from chronic illness through uh, limbic system uh, rehabilitation and the DNRS program. So uh, we have an amazing, amazing support uh, team. And also we have something called living DNRS classes, which are 12 week group support classes. So we have one of our certified instructors actually leads a group of up to 24 people through this 12 week support sessions. So not only do you get the experience of the uh, person who's facilitating the call, but of 24 other people that are implementing the program and their insights and connecting with people in real time. And I find that that's really been uh, a, a game changer for a lot of people because they have that human interaction with someone else who gets them, who understands it, and who's also implementing uh, the program. And they get to uh, share their creative ideas about how they're implementing the program. So it's a really great source of uh, guidance, inspiration, information, and community. Mm, yeah, that's incredible. I know that you've created you know, an amazing community and a lot of different ways that people um, can get support. So that's, that's wonderful, Annie. And we will, um, you know, I guess before we um, end, I'd love any last uh, words of wisdom. We'll definitely share at the, um, in the show notes and everything. I want you to share like your website and any other information um, you haven't, but any parting, you know, words of wisdom as we wrap up. Parting words of wisdom. <laughs> You know, the brain is, our understanding of the brain is changing radically. And really, we're on the forefront of uh, revolution in healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say to people that are suffering, I would say you are more resilient than you think and never give up. Mm -hmm. There is, and you know, there's, there's a new way of looking at things. There are new tools to approach what you might be dealing with. And I would just say, uh, have the courage to try something different. My goodness, you know, when I think about people that have the conditions that we treat, uh, my heart goes out to them because really they should be getting gold, limp, gold medals and courage and tenacity, right? Like just their, their resilience already. And oh, the one, uh, the one thing that I would say is, Retraining your brain and rewiring your limbic system does not take more energy than it takes you right now to do all of the treatments and coping mechanisms that you might currently have at play. And as your brain rewires, you'll have more freedom and a greater quality of life to do the things that you love in life. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal, right? To get people well, so they can really, you know, enjoy, you know, their life and, you know, be connected to their, you know, passion and purpose that they were here to do. So I, I really um, know I really value that. So, well, thank you for those inspiring words. And I hope people really let them land if they, they need that pep talk. And again, Annie, how can people find out more about you and DNRS? Yeah, people can find us on our website at retrainingthebrain.com and everything they want to know about the program is there. And uh, if they want to talk to our client services reps, our phone number is there. If they have any questions about the program, then uh, feel free to contact us. 
Great. Well, I so appreciate your time. I'm so glad we finally got to meet each other. And thank you for your incredible work. Oh, thank you, Christine. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Annie Hopper. Please check out her website, retrainingthebrain.com. And you can find out more about her and her work in the show notes. If you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would be so grateful for you to be able to leave a review for others to find this information on iTunes. And if you are curious about becoming a new patient with myself or Dr. Amanda Williams or any other practitioners on my team, our website is eminencehealth.com. Have a beautiful day.